G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. What we do on a Monday, we like to start the week, our first segment of the week, checking on the political agenda as it faces all of us, whether it's here in Australia, and we'll touch on some overseas things today. But Martin Isles, Managing Director of the ACL, the Australian Christian Lobby, back with us. Hi, Martin. Welcome back to 2020. G'day, Neil. Good to be with you again. Martin, let's talk Queensland election here. A huge swing to the Labor Party in Queensland, a plunge in the One Nation vote, uh, and potentially uh, knives out for the opposition leader, Deb Frecklington. Give us an overall impression of what you thought of the election over the weekend. Well, you're right, Neil. Uh, solid swing to Labor is about 5%. I think currently it's 4.8% towards Labor on the latest count overall. Um, and uh, I'll go into a couple of reasons why that was not a great result. Um, the two slight silver linings in all of this would be that Jackie Trad, who was the architect of, um, well, frankly, the most inhumane abortion laws in the world, uh, she lost her seat in West End. Um, silver lining, sort of, but was lost to a green, so that's not so great. But nonetheless, um, there is that outcome, which is good because her influence in the Labor Party will be reduced. Um, also, I noticed that Catter's Australia Party, they had three MPs uh, in the Queensland Parliament before this election. They've retained all three with a slight swing towards them. And I highlight those guys because I think they're a little bit underrated and under-recognised as really serious defenders of Christian values in the Parliament. Um, they've been fantastic on pretty much everything. So I'm really pleased to see the Catter guys uh, retained. Uh, but I mentioned that I'm not pleased with the result. There's a couple of reasons for that. The first one is that this was actually the first opportunity Australia has had to get some serious pro-life reforms uh, through to wind back abortion to birth. Queensland passed laws which make it legal to kill a child in the womb, to dismember them when they can feel and apprehend everything that's going on on the day that they could be born, right up to the end. Really awful stuff. Uh, and we've never had a situation where a major political party has run on a platform that says we're going to actually make a pro-life reform and end that kind of inhumanity. So that was the opportunity lost. Um, but it was great that they put that up. It's never happened before. Maybe they'll do it in the next election as well, and maybe they'll win next time. Uh, the other reason I'm not so pleased about it is because it's rewarded some of the worst aspects of modern politics, which is that you think of this coronavirus issue. This is the beginning of the coronavirus incumbencies, by the way. We had the ACT in Northern Territory. The incumbent governments that were good on coronavirus were retained. Queensland's the same. I think Western Australia will be the same come March. Um, dare I say it, I think any state that had an election right now would be the same because people are afraid around the coronavirus issue. They see good management of coronavirus as a great kick, and so they reward the incumbent government. Unfortunately, what that meant is that Anastasia Palaszczuk politicised the coronavirus issue enormously. 
Um, she didn't have to keep the borders closed. She didn't have to, you know, destroy the tourism industry in Queensland. She didn't have to do all the things that she did. Coronavirus can be managed more smartly than that. But what she did made her look tough on coronavirus and made her look strong. And they spent millions of dollars, as all the state premiers have done, simply monitoring public sentiment on this and chasing the votes that are in it, rather than doing the right thing which is to say, actually, we can manage this pandemic in a way that's less destructive and to show people that that's possible and to get on with it. But because an election was in the wind, they didn't bother with that. They simply did the polls, found out how people were feeling, overreacted, destroyed a lot of stuff in the process, but were really, you know, it was really unfortunate. She even did a press conference the day before the election on the borders because she wanted to get more valuable airtime. And it was a superfluous press conference. She didn't need to do it then and it didn't make much changes. But she wanted to get the political value of her strong stance on, she kept saying, keeping you safe every day to feed into the election the next day. So unfortunately, I see that as a real nasty side of politics where politicians aren't leading anymore. They're just trying to find out what people's fears are and they're pandering to them to extract votes out of it. And that's been rewarded, and then you can be sure that it's not going to do any good for the coronavirus management of, uh, around Australia in the next few months, because all the politicians are going to follow suit. And rather than fix the problem, they're going to say, no, no, you know, we're going to amplify it, make people afraid, and show them how strong we are on this so that we can win the votes. It's a real shame and not good for Australia. Martin, when a political party goes into an election, they go in with a platform. And if they win the election, they have a mandate to fulfil that platform that they've gone to the people with. And uh, one of those issues, of course, is going to be this issue of euthanasia because introduced late in the ALP platform at their official launch and uh, that promised to bring euthanasia laws into the parliament uh, within 100 days, that looks likely to happen now. Yeah, well, they've actually highlighted it as one of their priorities now in their first 100 days. So I mentioned before that fear is a great motivator in the electorate. And so they kind of stoked a bit of fear about coronavirus on purpose to say, look, you need me to keep you safe and sort of ham that up, um, which was unfortunate. But the other area where fear comes in, I think, is that is euthanasia. I think a lot of people instinctively support euthanasia. And indeed, there was just a referendum in New Zealand last week where uh, it passed. People voted in favour of it in a referendum in favour of having euthanasia. And I think people genuinely feel that way. And we find it very difficult to convince people otherwise. But a big motivator there is fear. People are quite Quite afraid of their own circumstances when the end comes and how it might all pan out and the challenges that the end of life bring. And so they support euthanasia. And so it's actually a bit of a winner. Um, unfortunately, that's again false. You know, a good leader would show people that actually end of life um, uh, care is extremely good if it's properly resourced and funded and nobody needs to die in pain. That's just a fact. Uh, you can talk to a palliative care specialist. They'll tell you exactly that. Um, but again, it's a fear thing, sadly. We had an opportunity for a good pro-life reform or a bad pro-life reform. We've got the bad pro-life reform under Labor. They're going to pursue euthanasia. But ACL will run a campaign on this, and you just don't know. I mean, if you get some people in the Labor Party who are prepared to cross the floor, and sometimes there is a group that are prepared to do it on these conscience issues, you'll have the Catter Party on our side, on, on, on the right side. You'll have uh, most of the LNP, I would suspect, will be on the right side. So it's worth running a campaign over. People can stay tuned for that. 
Interestingly, in New Zealand, just recently when they had their New Zealand elections, they had a couple of questions that they put to the people, some plebiscites, and one of those was around uh, euthanasia and the other one around uh, around uh, marijuana. Uh, but uh, they decided to put it to the people. Uh, the Labor government in Queensland won't feel the need to do that because they have a mandate to go ahead and introduce euthanasia. The people don't actually... The people, well, they'll say, have already voted. They want euthanasia. Yes, of course. So um, the Labor Party went into the, the election with their platform. People voted for them because of perceptions around coronavirus, but nonetheless they put you know, a very bad policy in there and they've got the confirmation that they need. However, we all know that even though somebody goes into an election with a policy, uh, circumstances after the election can change that. And I guess that's why groups like ACL exist. We try and change the circumstances and we often succeed and we often don't succeed. It, it depends. But to have somebody there to do that, to try and put up a campaign, to try and convince uh, or to try and change the circumstances is really important. Uh, you can see, for example, we still don't have religious freedom at a national level because Scott Morrison promised it, got into government, circumstances changed. Uh, coronavirus came along, there were some hurdles that we hit and all sorts of things. So that's been delayed and things, you know, politics is such a fluid situation. Uh, and so we will see how that, that pans out. And I think if we pray and act in relation to all of these things, uh, we just don't know uh, what God can do. Well, the hard work on pro-life issues is unceasing. Before we leave the Queensland election alone, uh, just issues around One Nation, because uh, people know One Nation uh, federally, nationally, and the One Nation vote plunged in Queensland and uh, basically, as I understand it, uh, went to Labor. Uh, What are your thoughts around One Nation and uh, the plunge in support for them? Yeah, it's a good point. In fact, uh, the One Nation swing was minus 6.8. And if you add the swing to Labor and the LNP together, you get plus 6.9. So um, it does indeed look like all the One Nation votes simply went into the major parties because there's not big differences anywhere else. Um, That's a hard one to explain, to be honest. Um, I don't know whether it is Pauline Hanson's uh, slightly lower profile at the moment. I've noticed she hasn't been out and about as much as she was, say, at the federal election. Um, I don't know, but I think that the prevailing wisdom is that uh, effectively people didn't feel the need to register protest votes for minor parties because they felt like the Labor government had managed the pandemic well and there was a mood of certain solidarity around that. There was a mood among people that uh, uh, things were going in the right direction. And they, in times of crisis, people tend to coalesce around what they know and understand. Uh, and I think that's why the major parties both benefited from the time of crisis, Labor more so because they're in government. That tends to happen. Uh, mind you, the American election is probably going to, uh, but we could well buck that trend, but that tends to happen in Western democracies. It certainly happens in Australia. I think that's all that happened to One Nation. Uh, people were just going back to what they know. They were going back to uh, that, that security that they're looking for in a time of crisis. And I don't think that it was anything to do with One Nation's policy platform uh, or, or, or One Nation sort of uh, changing in any significant way because they haven't. Well, let's cast our eyes over the seas and the US presidential election, the next big one, that's happening this week and looks like we'll probably start getting some results from that perhaps late Wednesday, early Thursday. Uh, So far as the US election goes, any thoughts uh, overall? I mean, you know, it's 
It's an interesting situation. As I understand it, a lot of the commentary in mainstream media today has been about the preparation for violence uh, from either side depends on who loses the election. Uh, What are your thoughts for what's coming up in the U.S.? Yeah, the U.S. is in a precarious situation, actually. Um, nobody knows what this election is going to look like. That's the reality. They just don't know. No, very few people are prepared to make a prediction because uh, they know how wrong they got it last time. Um, and look, the poll disparities in some of those swing states like Michigan and Wisconsin uh, are very similar to the poll disparities that were around uh, in 2016. Uh, And so they're just not sure. And people don't quite know whether the pollsters have tried to accommodate for their errors last time and how the algorithms have changed. And there's such a a grab bag of swing states look so unpredictable and there's such a difference between how people feel on the ground versus what the polls are saying and it's really hard. Nobody really knows. But I think that the US is coming to a real crisis point because there's a possibility that this election could lead to unprecedented violence, uh, unprecedented anarchy uh, and and real bedlam and madness. I mean, I was listening to some commentators who have travelled to the US cover the election and they were saying, look, it's really hard for non-Americans to understand just how serious things are. And one guy was describing the city of Portland. He said there's literally nothing left to be pulled down in Portland. The violence has been going for so long. The anarchists, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, these kind of groups have just been going nuts for so long. He described Seattle, where he'd also been, and how terrible that was, and how the whole inner city area is just boarded up shops, lifeless and dead with a tent city. Uh, and, 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 and the violence continues. And people are concerned that if this is a narrow Trump win, or if this is a, um, a protracted result where it's not clear for some time, that that stuff is just going to go up in flames. Now, if Biden wins, I don't believe that there will be any violence because the violent groups are the far left groups. Um, and so I think that it really won't be that bad if Biden wins, which at the moment, the betting markets say that he will. Um, and also the polls say that he will, but we know we're not sure about polls anymore. I just say this, there is that problem. And then the other problem, of course, is the policy agenda of the two um, of the two options, which are Trump and Biden. The Trump policy agenda versus the Biden policy agenda could not be more different. Um, Joe Biden and the Democrats, they will push the ideology that lies beneath the Black Lives Matter crew and the Antifa crew. They will push that Marxist agenda that says that America is evil and needs to be destroyed. They will pack the Supreme Court with more judges to try and dilute the conservative influence and start undermining the institutions of America. They are so pro-abortion, it's not even funny. Uh, They support really sick campaigns like Shout Your Abortion and all this kind of stuff. And, And I could go on and on. And there's conversion therapy laws they want to bring in, which, you know, Underneath the surface, they've actually got rules against preaching the gospel and so on. And it's, it's, it's awful. It'll mean bad things for religious freedom. So people get upset by Trump's bombastic personality, uh, by, you know, his brashness and all that kind of thing. But really, Trump is a, a bombastic guy with great policies. Uh, uh, Biden is a calm guy with awful dreadful policies. Um, And that's what's at stake for America. I think the nation will change, or this is a decisive moment for the nation, uh, more so than most elections over there, because of the policy agenda, but also because of the 
the society, the way that it's polarizing. Uh, and so I think a lot of prayer needs to go into this from Christians all over the world, because the way America goes is so often the way the world goes. And they're the biggest player on the world stage. And nobody knows how this is going to pan out. It's in God's hands. And I think uh, much prayer, we're instructed to pray for our governing authorities. And that's one of the few things we are instructed to do in the New Testament in relation to governing authorities. So uh, I think uh, some time on our knees in the next 48 hours or so would be well spent. Uh, Good, wise words and wise encouragements there. Uh, Martin Isles, Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, acl.org.au, to keep up on uh, some commentary around the things that have happened, perhaps uh, more deeper issues if you are checking on uh, the latest podcast uh, from Martin Isles, talking about the truth of it. Uh, You'll be able to access that when you go to the ACL website, acl.org.au. Martin Isles, great insights. Thanks so much for being with us once again today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Always a pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.